Good evening. We are in Mark chapter 7, not quite to the end of the chapter, looking at verses 24 through 30. Mark 7, 24 through 30. And from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's bread, the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we're going to read in a few weeks in Mark that although your disciples did not understand, uh, you began to open ears. You opened the ears of a deaf man to hear you. You opened the eyes of a blind man to see, at first only dimly, but then more clearly. Lord, open our ears, make us uh, sensitive to your word, open our eyes that we may see you ever more clearly. May we take up the model of this passage and apply it to our lives as disciples. Amen. This passage is both closely connected with what's come before, but also in a geographically distinct area. I wonder, can you pick up some connections with what's gone before? If you've been here a few weeks, uh, maybe you remember from last week, Dan teaching or the week before. I know it's not fair to start right out with a question. Got to warm up to it, but yeah, yeah, unclean. Why they washed? Yep, um, their hands to make themselves not defiled, not wanting to contact. Yep. Jesus. Yeah. So these debates on clean and unclean. Uh, the debate with the Pharisees and the scribes about the necessity of observing various Jewish traditions to be part of the people of God. Uh, and then in the passage Dan taught last week, this shift to the focus on the inner life rather than this exterior clean, unclean food, as, as Nate says, declaring all foods clean. And then as Dan pointed out last week, connecting that to the book of Acts, when Peter has this vision of the sheet or tarp or whatever it is, lowering down with all the, the unclean animals in it and, and it being a sign that the the nations were declared clean. So it's closely connected to that, and yet there's a geographic distinction. Jesus is now in the region of Tyre and Sidon. These are Gentile towns, and Tyre in particular was hostile towards Israel. So Josephus says uh, in the Maccabean Wars in the period after that, Tyre was their, Israel's particular enemy. Apparently, Jesus is in these Gentile regions for the next chapter or two until in the middle of chapter 8, he sets out for Jerusalem. So chronologically, we're quite close to the end. He's going to be in this Gentile region and then set out for Jerusalem. 
And when he arrives in Jerusalem, there's one week until his death, chronologically quite close to the end, even though we're not quite halfway through the gospel as the chapters go. Any guesses why Jesus heads to a Gentile area for, for this period? Yeah, the Jews are after him. Uh, uh, Herod seems to be against him. The Pharisees and scribes are against him. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. Yeah, Dan? It's indicative of the scope of his, uh, the gospel ministry. Yeah, so the gospel ministry extends beyond Israel. Yeah. And I think uh, my sense is possibly a third reason is in uh, 7.18 that Dan read last week. Uh, when he's talking to the disciples, he's saying, then are you also without understanding? And the disciples aren't getting it yet. Remember, uh, it's kind of a th- been a theme for the last three or four chapters that they keep trying to get away on their own so that he can teach his disciples and spend individual time with them and what keeps happening everywhere they go. People. Yeah, crowds, people. They can't get this one-on-one time. And so perhaps Jesus thinks, okay, if we go to some Gentile regions, I can finally sequester the disciples and we can have some uh, concentrated time of teaching. Well, as we see, that doesn't work out, does it? Uh, He tries to stay hidden, Mark says. He enters the house and didn't want anyone to know he was there, but he could not be hidden. Immediately, Mark's favorite word, immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and she came and fell down at his feet. Do you recall someone else falling at Jesus' feet? Jarius. I think Jarius is the last person to fall at Jesus' feet. That's right. He comes to Jesus, falls at his feet. Jarius, too, is begging for a daughter uh, who's at the point of death. Uh, And so in that respect, it's not that unusual. And yet, verse 26, you can't imagine a more unlikely resume for a woman forcing herself into the house of a Jewish rabbi. She's a Gentile. Okay? She could be a God-fearer, not so bad. But then when it says she's a Syrophoenician, almost certainly she's a pagan. And she's a woman unaccompanied on her own, forcing herself into the house of this teacher. So like Jarius, she comes, falls on her knees. And yet, unlike Jarius, she kind of comes from the opposite end of the social spectrum. As we've seen in the story of Jairus and that, that woman that uh, comes to Jesus on the way to Jairus' house, desperation drives us to Jesus. For faith means having no confidence in oneself. When you realize you're out of your own ability, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. You start looking for someone else. That's the beginning of faith. She falls at her feet and begs Jesus to cast out the demon and the Greek actually is she kept on begging, continually begging, wouldn't stop. Okay, that we see a woman come to Jesus, fall at her feet, and beg for deliverance. So far, not that unusual. But Jesus' response is jarring. In the gospel so far, what have we seen Jesus do when people come to him for help? What's his typical response? He has compassion. Uh, Even when it's interrupting something else he wants to do, he has compassion and he generally helps them. Well, how does he respond here? 
Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Okay, it seems to be a little parable, a little short uh, picture trying to make a point here uh, about the, the order of Jesus' ministry to Jews and then to Gentiles or pagans. Now, when he's talking about dogs, this is not a term of endearment. Okay, uh, we think of dogs and we think of the lady driving down the road with a dog in her lap, out, head out the window, right? Or, could, Justin, I've seen the dog in your lap, I think, before. So, you know, that's not the picture, though, of, 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 uh, that's here. Think of uh, if you've been to Mexico and there's the wild dogs that get the sores and they rub oil on them to, you know, take care of the sores, get, keep out whatever they do. I don't know why they do it, but rubbing oil on these nasty dogs on the street in Mexico. Okay, that's the kind of picture. These dogs out roaming around, eating garbage, eating scraps that are chucked out, okay? Not a term of endurement. In fact, a dog is generally used in the Bible as an insult, okay? We need to see, I think, three things in this story, or possibly four things. The first is maybe what we could call the tragedy of Israel. Jesus says, my mission is first and foremost to Israel. It's not right for their food to be taken and given to others. Let them be fed first. And yet, what have we just seen? Jesus goes around teaching, and the scribes and Pharisees want to force their traditions on people. They want to argue with Jesus, saying, You're, you know, this, it's decent teaching, but your disciples didn't wash their hands, so, right? They're stuck up on the little things. And even Jesus' own disciples, he says, don't yet understand. They're without understanding. So we see that Jesus affirms the priority of his mission to Israel. First, the children must be fed. And yet at the same time, we see the children are needing to be force-fed. They're not (laughs) taking to the food as we might hope. I guess I'll just pause there. Any thoughts or questions? That's all right. Yeah, Lulu. Um, as you were talking about the tragedy of Israel, I was thinking in the beginning of John, where that one verse, I guess it must be verse 12, where Jesus comes to his own, but his own didn't receive him. Oh, right, the Gospel of John. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that you see this, uh, this rejection by his own people. Yeah, certainly. Okay, how does the woman respond then? The first thing I want you to see is that there is this tragic irony that Israel is to be fed first and yet uh, doesn't want to eat, at least at this point. The second thing I want you to see is the woman's response of humility, and indeed it's a model for ourselves. She's not distant. She doesn't pull away. She's not offended. She responds, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. James Edward, a commentator on James Edwards, a commentator on Mark, uh, uh, puts it this way: She does what Jesus commands of those who would receive the kingdom and experience the word of God. She enters the parable and allows herself to be claimed by it. That is, she answers Jesus from within the parable. She answers in the terms by which Jesus addressed her. And that she's entering in the parable and answering from within that world indicates that she is the first person in the Gospel of Mark to hear 
to truly hear, to understand the word of Jesus. Okay, so she enters into the world of the parable and responds from it. And I think indeed we can say, in a sense, she outmaneuvers Jesus. And Jesus' response is very good, marvelous. Uh, He seems to be excited that someone's finally getting it and can answer on his level. She seems to outmaneuver Jesus, though. Three things that she says in her response. First, she uses a slightly different word for child or for children. Uh, The word Jesus uses, uh, let the children be fed first, emphasizes uh, a genealogical relationship, that it's the descendant of a parent, right? So uh, uh, you could refer to adult children using that because they're they're, they're biologically related. The word she uses emphasizes their youthfulness. And so it's like she's saying the little children, okay? First, she uses a slightly different word. Second, she redefines the dogs. Do you see what she says there? It's slightly different. He says it's not right to take the bread from the children and chuck it out to the dogs that are out in the street. She says, yes, but the dogs that are under the table get the crumbs. Okay, so she slightly twists the dogs. Now they're pets under the table in the house, part of the household. And yet under the table, they're within the household but subordinate to the children. And third then, she reworks first and second. Okay, Jesus is saying, First, my mission's to Israel, and then the mission to the Gentiles comes after my ascension when I send out my apostles. I mean, that's more or less how it unfolds. But she slightly reframes it. She says, yes, first the children are fed at the table, but those of you with small children know, where does the food wind up? Right? It's all over the floor. So she's saying, if we're under the table, yes, it goes to the children first, and yet there's a trickle-down effect, or there's a superabundance of of food, of sustenance. And so the crumbs fall from the high chair and we can be fed at the same time without robbing the children. So do you see how she she enters the world of the parable, but she kind of twists everything. And how does Jesus respond? Oh, how dare you? No, no. For this statement, you may go your way. Very good, wonderful. Finally, someone's getting the parable. Finally, someone's getting a hold of what I'm talking about here. Finally, you may go your way. The third thing I want you to see then is Jesus's own authority. He seems to be delighted that someone is able to answer him. We see his authority in two things. First, as far as I can tell, this is the only miracle in the Gospel of Mark that is performed at a distance. Uh, There's the story when the centurion in a different gospel comes to Jesus and and says he needs uh, his servant to be healed. And he says, uh, well, I'll go with you. He says, don't bother. Just command and it'll happen. And he says... Such faith I haven't found in Israel. Um, Sorry, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, But in Mark's gospel, this is the only miracle that happens at a distance. Of course, in one sense, a miracle is a miracle. Whether Jesus is up close or far away, it's still miraculous, right? Um, And yet, nevertheless, there is something particularly emphatic about the way his authority is exercised. Saying, I don't even have to go face to face, confront this demon. It's gone. It's already taken care of. And yet we see his authority in a second respect as well, that he's incorporating Gentiles into the kingdom, saying, for this statement, for your faithful response, you've entered into my teaching, you've, under, you've, you've entered into the world of my parable, you've understood the kingdom, and for this statement, you may go your way. Okay, so he, he seems to be saying, it's like in the last passage we looked at with Dan last week, he seems to be saying again, it's really about your heart How does your heart respond to Jesus? That's what's fundamental, not necessarily in the first instance, your relationship 
to Abraham. Before I conclude, is there any other thoughts or, or comments on this? Yeah, Joel. When she first said to say, yes, Lord. Yeah. What is Lord? What is that recognizing him as? Yeah, uh, it's, uh, again, it's subordinating herself to himself. So it's not saying, how dare you, but it's saying, yes, master, Lord, teacher. Uh, I wasn't sure what form of Lord this really. Yeah. Yeah, I think here it would be just addressing a superior. Uh, so saying, yes, master. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, good comment or question. Okay, good. Okay, so uh, j- just to draw it together and conclude them before we turn to prayer, I think we have a couple of things here. First, again, we keep out coming back to this question of who is Jesus, and we see something of his authority. It's something we've seen in other passages, and yet it's a, pa- a point that Mark keeps coming back to. Okay. Who is this who can command demons even at a distance? Who is this who can rework the clean and unclean laws? Who is this who can uh, relativize the distinction between Jews and Gentiles? But second, this woman provides a profound model for discipleship, for coming to Jesus. She's desperate. She comes to Jesus. She falls on her knees. She addresses him as Lord. And she enters into the world of the parables. She lets his teaching define her situation, and from within that, she responds, asking for grace. In the Book of Common Prayer, the uh, 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 Thomas Cramer's services at the the celebration of the Eucharist, the Lord's Table, there's a prayer that the congregation prays together that's based on this passage, and I want to end with this. We do not presume to come to this, your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose character is always to have mercy. Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your son, your dear son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. So even from the Protestant Reformation, her faith becomes a model for our response as disciples. Let's turn now to our time of corporate prayer. Are there requests or needs or thanks, thanksgiving? Thanksgiving.